particularly talk about the honour of, uh, of motherhood and especially one particular mother uh, that I want to share with you from the New Testament. And so if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And uh, while you do that, uh, may I also say that perhaps there are some of those of you who are watching or listening this today, this broadcast, and maybe you don't know your biological mother. Maybe for some reason it's unknown to you, it's nothing to do with you, but you just don't know your biological mother. And I'm truly sorry about that. Maybe for other ones of you, uh, perhaps uh, you have known a mother or actually have been a mother, but it hasn't been a happy experience for you either. Uh, or maybe perhaps you knew your mother and she was a wonderful, wonderful, precious woman and you loved her so dearly, uh, but today you don't have her because she has passed away. Maybe still others, maybe your mother's in a nursing home today and because of this pandemic, you can't get to her, you can't be with her to hug her and, and to hold her hand and to kiss her and tell her how much you love her. And I'm truly sorry about that also. But notwithstanding all of that, don't switch me off. Please stay with me as we begin to share uh, some of these scriptures. Surely no woman in the history of mankind has captured the imagination of people of every generation more than this beautiful, humble handmaid of the Lord called Mary. This highly favored woman, this most blessed woman, the mother of Jesus, to be chosen by God himself, to carry the Son of God in her womb, and then to give birth to him and to raise and to rear him up into manhood was an awesome privilege. And it would have been a privilege for any woman on earth. But for this young woman in Israel, this was an incredible, not only privilege, but great responsibility. Before we look at this wonderful calling and privilege of Mary that she received, uh, let me say it is unfortunate that both within the, the Protestant tradition and the Roman Catholic tradition that two mistakes have been made. First of all, regarding at large the Protestant church, uh, we have failed many, many times to actually uh, to honor this woman except at the nativity scene at Christmas time. That's usually about the only time we ever speak of Mary. And yet the, the Catholic Church has gone to the other extreme, uh, to the point of worship and veneration of, of Mary. And of course, both have erred in this, but I would say that the latter is a more grave error than the first. Nowhere in Scripture does it even remotely hint that we should worship Mary, or that we should even pray to Mary, or that we should expect special favors or blessings from Mary. Nowhere does it say that she is the co-redemptrix with Jesus, that somehow or other she entered into the redemptive sufferings of Christ on the cross. Nowhere does it say that she had an immaculate conception or that she was bodily taken up into heaven to sit there as queen of heaven to be worshipped. Nowhere in Scripture does it say anything like that at all. Or that she should be co-mediatrix, that she should be co-mediator with Christ. No, there's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, all these are the traditions of the hierarchy of the Catholic Church that's been introduced over the years. I remember many years ago standing in 
in the cathedral in Seville in Spain. It's a massive cathedral and it's beautiful architecture, magnificent architecture, highly ornate. Uh, but in there, there's a, there's a shrine, a golden shrine to Mary. Uh, and it saddened me to see that this beautiful cathedral was given almost exclusively over to the worship and veneration of Mary because all of the seats in the cathedral were all pointing to that shrine towards Mary. And away over to my left, I noticed there was a crucifixion scene and there maybe was only half a dozen chairs there. So it was obvious it was almost wholly given over to the worship of Mary. And I think that this little humble handmaid of the Lord, I think she would be aghast to think that men were worshiping her or, or putting her co-equal almost with Christ, the Son of God. I, I think she would be aghast at that. The worship of Mary began to be developed in the Church of Rome about A.D. 432. Feasts in her honor began in A.D. 650. And the Ave Maria was introduced in A.D. 1316. And the teaching about her Immaculate Conception uh, somehow or other that she was untainted by original sin when she was born. That was introduced in 1854. And then the teaching of the corporal presence of the Virgin Mary in heaven was proclaimed by Pope Pius XII in A.D. 1950. And these and other things were introduced by the Roman Catholic Church. Now, multitudes of devout Catholics are devoted to Mary. They've been taught this since they've been children. And they truly, genuinely believe that she is the one who sits in heaven dispensing grace and using her mediatorial and intercessory ministry for the good of mankind. And that's just simply not true. And then, of course, much prayer then is directed towards Mary that really should be directed towards the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this robs him then of his unique place at the right hand of God. We don't need a mediator to get to the mediator. You know, arguably, the, probably the most popular pope in, in living memory was Pope John Paul II. And he dedicated his whole pontificate, his whole reign as pope, he dedicated not to Christ, but to Mary. In fact, in his will, he dedicated in his will the care of the Catholic Church, not to Christ, but to, to Mary. But even in Christ's day, there were those who thought it proper to emphasize her role uh, as the mother of Jesus, uh, putting her in a position that was above what God intended. But Jesus soon put them right. In Luke chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, it says, And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, More than that, above all of that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Protestants, on the other hand, not wanting to make an idol of Mary, have on the whole neglected to tell her story. And what a story it is. It's a story that needs to be told again and again, not just at Christmas time, but a story that's so beautiful and important that honors motherhood. You know, if you're a mother today, you have a very special position in life under God. And so I want to share a little bit about this precious mother, this Mary.
So let's look at this highly favored, this one who is blessed among women. And turning to Luke chapter 1, I'm going to be reading verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth really didn't have a good reputation as a city, as a town. Uh, you remember when Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Well, thank God there was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So as you sent to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. To a virgin betrothed or espoused to a, husband, to a man whose name was Joseph. Now let me just take a moment just to explain a little bit about this betrothal and or espousal. It's a little bit like our engagement prior to marriage, only it's much more binding, much more legal, much more formal than that. In fact, marriages in those days, of course, were arranged. And so the, the parents of, of Joseph and of Mary would get together whenever they were both much, much younger. And they would draw up a deal. And when it came to the time of betrothal or espousal, or we would say the engagement, when it came to that time, a contract would be drawn up and a dowry would have to be paid. And then from that moment, they would be effectively married. And in fact, it would be so binding to them that only death or adultery could break that bond. Now, they would have to wait for at least one year, and there would be a courtship. But under the most strict rules, there would have to be a chaperone at all times. And so there could be no physical relationships between this couple, even though they're all intents and purposes married, but they have to wait a year until the, the little uh, formal ceremony would take place. And it, would be a, it would be a small thing. It wouldn't be as elaborate as ours today. And when that would take place and they'd have the reception, then they'd have their honeymoon and then the marriage would be consummated. Then it would be completed in that. And so that's what espousal or betrothal is. And it was about that time, during that period, that time within that year, that the angel Gabriel came then to this beautiful young woman. She would only be about maybe 15, 16 at the most. And that again was normal in those days to be married quite young actually. And so it was about that time whenever the angel Gabriel came. And Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The word favored there is the same word we get grace from. Uh, and it, so it means highly grace one. That lets us know, of course, that Mary, she did not get to this position on merit. It was by grace. Even though she was good and she was godly and all of that, but it was by grace. It was still by grace that she was chosen by God. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Not above women, but among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. It says she was troubled. She was perplexed. 
she was wondering what in the world could this possibly mean? And she was disturbed. I mean, this is a big thing. An angel coming and speaking to her on this way. And she was wondering, what is this meaning? Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, which basically means Savior. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow, this is an amazing thing for this young 15, 16-year-old woman, for an angel to come, angel Gabriel no less, and to tell her, to tell her what was going to happen to her, that she was going to bear the very Son of God. Now, apart from that being a startling announcement to make, can you begin to imagine what must have been going on in her head at that time? I mean, all this is happening just in a minute. Can you imagine the thoughts that must have been running through her mind? I mean, apart from anything else, what, what is my family going to think? What in the world is Joseph going to think? I mean, if I'm pregnant during this, this betrothal period, I mean, that's bad enough. In fact, that's, that's really bad. Not only that, that could actually cause her to be stoned because that would be classed as adultery. And that was a stoning offense. But what would Joseph think? How is Joseph going to react? I mean, what about my family and his family? What about the village, the town, everybody? What about the tongues wagging? What about the word going around? I mean, this was a Big, big thing for her just to face at that moment. No wonder she was troubled at that saying. And then he said, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And so as well as all the consequences of this, as well as all the, the talk and the the, the pointing of fingers and the tongue wagging and all of the scandal that would ensue. How could this happen? Physically, biologically, how could this take place? I don't know a man. I've never lain with a man. So how could this happen? And so you can see, if you put yourself in the position that she's in, this is a major, major thing that she is facing. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. And then, as a great encouragement to her faith and for her obedience, the angel said, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. In Luke chapter 1, you remember this angel, Gabriel, had come six months prior to this. He had come to Zacharias the priest and Elizabeth his wife. And he said, even in their old age, because they were well advanced in years, and she had been barren all of her married life. She couldn't have a child. 
an angel said, you're going to have a son and you shall call his name John. And Zacharias just didn't believe it. He just did not believe it. And because of that, the angel struck him dumb. And he was dumb until the very point where he named his son John. And as soon as he named him John, which was against family tradition, by the way, then suddenly he opens his mouth and he begins to speak. And now the same angel has come to Mary and sending her to Elizabeth, Zacharias's wife, who is a relative. Some say an aunt, some say a cousin, we don't know for sure, but a relative. And what an encouragement because she knew the family history. She would know she was old. She knew that all of her married life, she couldn't have any children. And now to hear that, her, that she's pregnant, that Elizabeth is pregnant, what an encouragement for her faith and for her obedience. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What a statement. Remember, she's only 15, 16 years old. She's just been told the most incredible story. Who would believe her? I mean, who's going to believe her? Do you think her parents would believe her? Do you think Joseph would believe her? I don't think so. And he didn't at the start. I mean, this is a big, big thing. But yet, notwithstanding all of that and all of the scandal that she knew was going to take place, she still said, let it be to me according to your word. What a tremendous step of faith and what a step of obedience to obey the Lord in this. You know that when Zacharias was told he didn't believe and he was a priest, Whenever God went to Moses and said, I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh to set my people free, he didn't want to go. <laughs> I mean, he argued with God and says, well, look, I'm not very good at public speaking. You don't send me. I wouldn't be very good at this. You know, Gideon, when God came to Gideon, remember he was threshing floor, threshing corn, hiding from the Midianites? And he wanted all kinds of, of fleeces put out, all kinds of signs from God before he would take this up. And you remember how Jonah, when God came and told Jonah to go to Nineveh, how that he, he refused to go. He went the opposite direction. And yet here is this young, humble, beautiful, 15, 16-year-old girl, and she's saying, be it unto me according to your word. What a tremendous statement and what a great step that was. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Let's just stop there for a second. She's entering the house of a priest. Now she's told Joseph. How's Joseph going to react? She's not there anymore. She's gone to her cousins or aunts. How's Joseph going to react? What of Joseph wanting to spare himself? What of Joseph wanting to say, this is going to be a great scandal and it's not my fault. I know I'm not involved. I didn't do anything. But everybody will think it is me. And what if to save himself, what if he made a public 
spectacle of her, a public example. Then a priest would have to be involved, and then literally she could be put to death. So going to a priest's house, you may say, well, that, that's taking a big risk, but actually not really because of this particular priest, Zacharias, because when she goes to tell him about Gabriel, the angel Gabriel coming, he remembers six months ago that same angel came to him and he doesn't, he, he's wanting to believe everything she's going to tell him. He doesn't want to be struck dumb twice. And so she went to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The babe, little John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. It says when Mary greeted her, you know, I believe, it doesn't say, but I'm sure, it was at some point when she said, do you know the angel Gabriel visited me and says, I was going to have a child and he was going to be called Jesus, the Savior of the world. I'm sure little John in the womb of Elizabeth couldn't contain himself any longer and he just jumped and I'm sure he shouted hallelujah too. Such excitement at this moment. And so Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. In other words, Mary, you were right. Mary, this is God. Mary, this is something to rejoice over. What an encouragement to Mary. What an encouragement for her faith and her obedience to hear and to see this Elizabeth prophesying and speaking to her and encouraging her. And then, this little next portion. I just want to read it very, very quickly. Maybe just make one comment, but I want to tell you something right at the end of it. This is Mary's Magnificat, in the Latin it's Magnificat, because she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. See, Mary needed a savior too because Mary was a sinner like everyone that has ever been born. And she needed a savior. For he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to her fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Then Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. What? a tremendous psalm. You know, it's so like what uh, Hannah prayed uh, whenever she had uh, little Samuel in 1 Samuel 2. But here's what I want you to notice. 
in that beautiful, sudden exclamation of joy and worship and praise unto God, she actually referenced 23 Old Testament scriptures. Can you imagine that? She's 15, 16 years old. And she and spontaneously, it just flows out of her. She was so filled with the Word of God that 23 Old Testament scriptures just came one after the other. You see, she had been taught these at her mother's knee. She had been taught these at the synagogue. Question, how many 15, 16-year-old young woman or young man, or any of us for that matter, could quote 23 scriptures one after the other? How many could do that? I tell you what, many a 15 or 16-year-old believer could quote you word for word 23 pop songs and maybe couldn't quote you one scripture. But this is a godly young woman who's filled with the Word of God. It's wonderful. And so here we are with this tremendous young mother-to-be. You know, by the time she gives birth, she's probably 16, 17 at most. She's godly, she's pure, she's chaste. But what about Joseph? How's Joseph going to handle this? What's Joseph going to say? What's Joseph going to do? Because as you can imagine, this must have been an almighty shock to him to hear this. And so in Matthew chapter 1, let me just read a couple of verses here. In verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed, there's that word, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, because to all intents and purposes, that's what he'd be. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Joseph loved Mary. Absolutely no question that he loved her, was dying about her. Couldn't wait to be together just as a couple together. But here he is, faced with this awful shock. How could she do this to me? I mean, people would say she was just sleeping around. How could she do this? She knows I love her. Why could she not wait? And then he maybe thought, you know, maybe it was a moment of temptation. And he loved her. And he wasn't going to make a public spectacle of her. He could have to save himself, but he didn't. So he was going to secretly put her away. Maybe write a bill of divorcement and just quietly, secretly put her away. Just to save her. That's what he's thinking. That's what he's feeling. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated is God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. You know, we have to honor Joseph in this too. It could have been so different. But whatever it was going to take, whatever the scandal would ensue, you know, for the rest of their lives, even though they'd have more children, there'd be more sons and daughters, but for the rest of their lives, very, very few people would believe the story that they told about the angel Gabriel coming, that this was the Son of God. Even Jesus' siblings did not believe that he was the Son of God until after the resurrection. So all of that lifetime, they had to live with that. Now, we know, and everybody knows now, but not then. You know, apart from the story of Christ's birth, there are a few other, very few other references to Mary in Scripture. In fact, in the first 30 years of Jesus' life, there was only one mention of her. And that was the time, of course, whenever they went to the great Passover feast in Jerusalem, when it was over, her and all of her family and friends and now the whole grip from her town, they all left, not realizing that Jesus wasn't with them. And then after a few days, they discovered, where's Jesus? And so they went back to find him. It took them three days to find him. And they found him in the temple. Do you remember that? And there he was with the theologians of his days, 12 years old. And he's asking them questions and he's giving them answers. And, you know, being a mother, you know, the, the mother instinct kicks in sometimes, doesn't it? Particularly if you feel your child needs scolded or barged, as we would say in Northern Ireland. And so she scolded him. And she says, why did you do this? Do you not know that your father and I have been looking for you? And I, if I could paraphrase, she probably says, you know, we were frantic. We're out of our minds looking for you. Why did you do this? And then very quietly, but very seriously, he says, why were you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? So even at 12 years old, you can see already he's beginning to put a little bit of distance between him and his mother, between she's his mother and she loves, he loves her, but he's the Messiah. She's his mother and she, he loves her, but he's got a ministry. And he knows it. And nothing's going to interfere with that. Because he's on a mission. Whenever he was much older, of course, in ministry, and in Mark 3, there was a situation where Jesus was in a house with all his disciples. There was crowds outside. And in the crowds, there was those scribes who hated Jesus with a passion. And they were, they were saying that you cast out devils by the prince of devils, by Beelzebub. We know you can cast out demons because you're in league with the big demon. And so they were angry. It was an angry crowd outside. And Mary and his brothers came. Maybe they'd heard about this and being a mother, she maybe wanted to be protective of Jesus. And so her and her brothers come. And then people said to Jesus, hey, outside, your mother and brothers are there. Remember what he said? He looked around. He must have pointed at those around him and he says, 
Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? Are not these my mother and my brethren? And so again, he, he's putting a little distance between himself and his mother in a nice way. But that's what he's doing. He's making sure everybody knows she's my mother and a lover, but I'm the Messiah. This is my ministry. And then, of course, you remember in the marriage feast in Cana of Galilee and how that it says that the mother of Jesus was there and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So that lets us know that when it says the mother of Jesus was there, that she had a part to play in that. Perhaps she knew the family well. And they'd given her responsibility during the wedding reception. Uh, but Jesus and the disciples, they were just invited. And how did the wine run out? You remember how the wine ran out? And Mary, being Mary, knowing now Jesus is about 30 years old, knowing who he is, she knew this is the Messiah. You remember whenever the angels came to visit, the, uh, whenever Jesus was still in the little crib and how the angels came to Mary and told her the wonderful things about him? It says she, she pondered all these things in her heart. She just kept them in her heart. And now she's 30 years old and she's probably thinking, you know, he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. Maybe it's time for him to begin his ministry because there's no public ministry up to this point. And so when the wine ran out, she went to Jesus and she said, they have no wine. <laughs> they have no wine. In other words, you do something about it. But he was only an invited guest. It wasn't his wedding. He had, he had no official part in it. But you see, she's kind of coaxing him and, and prodding him a little bit. They, they have no wine. And Jesus... Again, putting this distance, he says, woman? What has that got to do with me? My, my time's not yet come. You know, when he said woman, that, that was not putting her down in any way. That was, a, that was a, a formal address to her. He didn't say mother, he says woman. You know, when you visit North America or, or even the Philippines. I've been to the Philippines many times. You go into a store and they always say, sir or ma'am. You're always addressed as sir or ma'am. You go into a shop here, they say, what do you want? But over there, it's sir or ma'am. They give you a, a polite way, a formal way. And so this isn't a formal address. He's saying, woman, what's, what's that got to do with me? My time has not yet come. In other words, you know, you know saying, mother, really, don't interfere now. You know, if I want to do something, I'll do it in my time and my way. Woman, what's this got to do with me? And then she backed off. And then she went to those who were serving. And I could imagine her pointing over to Jesus saying, whatever he says unto you, do it. <laughs> you know, she wasn't giving up. You know, there was something stirring in her heart and she was thinking, you know, Moses turned water into blood my son could turn water into wine if he really wanted to. So she said to the servant, whatever he says unto you, do it. What a tremendous statement. What a motto to live by for us today. Whatever Christ says unto us, just do it. And you know, she could say that because she was the one all those years ago said, be it unto me according to your word. She did it. So she said, just 
do it. And you know, that's a lesson for us. If the Lord comes to us, and even though it may be a step of faith, it may be something big to do, it may be something simple to do, Maybe something that would be difficult for us to get our heads around, we would say. But if it's the Lord and we know it's the Lord, just do it. Do you know those are the last recorded words of Mary in the Bible? And what last words those were? But those were the last recorded words. Not another word that she ever spoke as recorded in Scripture after that. You get through all of the epistles. Not one single word. But what a word it is. Whatever he says unto you, do it. You know, as we begin to wind up, there's just one other area I want to look at. And that is in John chapter 19. And this is the the scene at Calvary. So I want you to pay special attention to this today. This is the scene at Calvary. In verse 25 of John's Gospel, chapter 19. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophas and Mary Magdalene. Try to imagine in your mind's eye because sometimes you can read over these scriptures and they just pass you by. But think for a moment. Here she is. She's standing looking up at her son on a Roman cross, dying as a common criminal. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been spat upon. His beard has been plucked out. crown of thorns is pressed on his head. He's nailed to a cross. He's bleeding, he's dying. There's a crowd around and they're jeering and the religious people are mocking him and they're saying, if you're the son of God, save yourself. If you're the king of Israel, come down from that cross. And the Roman soldiers are gambling for that seamless robe that he wore. They didn't want to tear it. They want to gamble for it. And there's a mob around and they're saying all kinds of insults and hurling at him. And here is Mary, his mother, and her heart is broken. I can imagine tears flowing from her eyes. No heart breaks more than a mother's heart. Do you hear me? No heart breaks more than a mother's heart. And she's standing there watching, and her heart is bursting. She's aching. And you know, the sun went down, and in hot countries, when the sun goes down, it gets very cold. And I can imagine she was feeling nervous and, and, and cold and, and hurting and, and she's maybe shaking. And there she is. And she's not a teenager anymore. She's not a young girl. She's 50 years old by this time. And she's brokenhearted. In verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John. John always addressed himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. Standing by, he said to his mother, and here's that formal way of speaking, woman, not mother, but woman, behold your son. And he looks at John. 
Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, that disciple took her to his own home. Jesus, in his dying moments, is concerned about two things. His precious mother, the one who nurtured him, who nursed him, who taught him, who loved him, the one who took care of him for all those years, and he wants her taken care of. And John's the best person to do it. He's the apostle of love. And he would live the longest out of all of the disciples and apostles. All of them would be dead and gone. He would still live on. So he's taking good care of his mother. But also because he said, woman, here's this formal thing again. He's distancing himself somewhat from what he's doing on the cross. She cannot, even though she's hurting and pain, you know, Simeon said at that prophecy, whenever, you know, they took baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated when he was eight days old, and the Simeon, that old priest, said, a sword will pierce your heart also, and boy, her heart is being pierced. But what he's doing on the cross, his redemptive sufferings, she cannot enter into. And Jesus just separates the two. To let us know, yeah, she's a wonderful, precious mother. She was my mother, and I love her deeply, and I'm going to make sure she's taken care of for the rest of her life, but she has no part in my redemptive sufferings. If you're blessed enough to have a precious mother who's maybe still alive, in fact, you may be sitting beside her right now, in this closing moment, let me challenge you. Why don't you, if you can, why don't you tell her that you love her? Why don't you embrace her if you can? Why don't you make her know that you truly love her, that she's precious to you? Because what an awesome responsibility for any woman to bring a child into this world and to wish the best for them and to do the best for them you possibly can. That is an awesome thing to do. And on this Mother's Day, here's a little moment when you get the opportunity to let them know how much you appreciate them. Why don't you do that? If you can't be near them, if you can't be with them, why don't you just say a prayer for them? And tell the Lord how much you love them and how precious they are to you today. Would you do that today? And so here we are, Mary, the mother of Jesus. What a wonderful mother she was. Precious right to the end. And Jesus loved her deeply. Let's pray. Lord God, on this Mother's Day and this part of the world, we honor mothers we say thank you for them. And for those of us who knew our mothers well and who they loved us and we loved them, we, we thank you for that special bond that we have and we had. We ask, oh God, that you would bless every mother for the responsibility, Lord, for all of the weights that they carry 
for all that they do for their children, for the blessing that they are. We pray, Lord, that you would favor and bless them. So we give you thanks for this and for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.